Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation as usual as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Right, here we go. What you think about Hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I hope you enjoyed our opening music. It's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band featuring Maya Dore, and you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms if you'd like. For those of you that are new to our show, our show is all about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have a real conversation and connect people all around the world at all levels regarding their thoughts and you know products and tools what's working what isn't what are they questioning now this is a live show today so you can call in at 323-870-4602 that's 323-870-4602 and we would love our listeners to uh, to join the conversation because we really think collaboration builds comfort, a sense of community, but also pushes us forward to win this battle against dementia. I'd like to remind people that all of our shows are archived. We've been doing this for over 10 years now, so there's lots to listen to that is always relevant, um, especially when you're hearing people's personal stories out there. It's so powerful. I always like to um, give a shout out to a few organizations, so I'm going to do that real quick. Arthur Senior Care is doing a memory cafe every second and fourth Wednesday. And um, Artist Senior Way in Woodbury, Minnesota, is doing one on the third Wednesday. Both are at 1 o'clock Central Time. And I will be facilitating those. If you're interested, just please reach out to me. I would be glad to uh, get you the information on that. Um, For all the other memory cafes, go to memorycafedirectory.com. There you will find all kinds of information. There's about 100 cafes that are now doing virtual cafes, and you can go to the Cafe Connect tab to get more information there. Also want to um, give a shout out to the Dementia Map, which is a global resource directory, which serves those living with dementia as well as their care partners and individuals and organizations trying to assist them. All kinds of good information and it's growing every day. So just go to DementiaMap.com. If you'd like a, a personal tour, there is a little tab in the upper right-hand corner. Just click on that and sign up for a session, and I would be glad to help you with that. Coral Health is still allowing people to download two of their music apps for free, Music First and Coral Face. So go to C-O-R-O, Coral Face, to get more information. We're going to hear from the Foot Bar Walker, and we'll be right back and introduce you to our guest, Kathy Braxton. 
Introducing the life-changing Foot Bar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Foot Bar Walker revolutionized my care of George. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. The Foot Bar Walker opens and closes just like a standard walker. The only thing that is different is the top bar and the foot bar. Does that ever make a difference? Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The Foot Bar Walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the Foot Bar Walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the Footbar Walker. Well, let's get to our show. We are going to be talking about right of choice regarding COVID vaccines, dementia, and ethics. And by uh, by a, a large plane, we're not going to have all the answers because everyone is going to be different. But we would love to hear your perceptions and thoughts regarding this as well. Um, our guest today has thought of a lot of great questions that will just trigger us to think a little bit deeper on this topic. So, again, you can call in at 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. Kathy Braxton is the owner and chief educator for Improv for Caregivers, previously known as Silver Dawn. She provides in-depth and introspective improv education to caregivers of all ages and stages of care and educational levels in an effort to improve communication and personal connections with those we care for. She enjoys um, thought-provoking conversations that enlighten different perspectives and challenge our status quo. And so, you know, in doing so, we get to learn about ourselves and the world around us. And again, I think our conversation today is just going to be a brilliant one. So, Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm so glad to be with you. Well, I always, I always love having you on the show. Um, if you don't mind um, sharing with people a little bit about your own experience um, with dementia, um, both in your own family and circle of friends, before we kind of get into our line of question, that's, that's always just a nice space for people to have. Sure. So um, I have 25 years of pers- professional experience uh, in the dementia field. I started actually when I was 21, and I really never left the field found that I loved working with residents who are living with dementia and trying to make their lives better. So I've run the gamut of um, activity professional, uh, social worker, uh, running memory care units, service coordination, facility and support groups. And um, most importantly, I think not only just working one-on-one with the residents themselves, but also with their care partners, those family members that are struggling and not sure what to do. Um, on a professional or pers- personal perspective, um, both sides of my family um, have had some form of dementia, and all of my grandparents have passed away. Two of them passed away from Alzheimer's disease, and myself, I actually suffer from traumatic brain injury. So um, I have some um, MCI, mild cognitive impairment, from that, and um, 
it's a struggle every day to remember little stories and things that have happened in my past, whether it's from high school or four weeks ago with the kids, or as my son just reminded me, 10 minutes ago, mom, you just said this, and I have absolutely no memory of that whatsoever. So uh, we try to take it lighthearted, but I think it helps me to gain a unique perspective, not only for the person who is living with this day in and day out and feeling the frustration of it, but I also get to have that kind of in-the-house perspective of what family members are going through when they get frustrated, when someone doesn't remember, and what they can do to help them remember, and most importantly, how they can communicate with someone when they're frustrated with them, when they're trying to help them remember something, or when they recognize that remembering doesn't really matter. So mm-hmm. those, that's my summary right there. Okay, well, that's a, that's a wonderful. I appreciate that. And, and I just think that it, it helps people uh, give them a, a little bit more of a perspective of things, which I think is, is important. I, I, you know, to me, perspective at all level is critical in terms of, of yeah. shifting how we care and kind of opening the door. Um, because I don't think any of us know, know all of it or ever will. And sometimes I think that that's pushed out there, you know, when people call us experts and I'm like, that's a limited category there because things are moving and changing all the time when it comes to this. And I think that that's a a mistake if we end up looking to somebody to have all the answers because it is, it is very, very fluid out there. Um, Now today we're going to be talking about, you know, right of choice, COVID vaccines, dementia and ethics. What are you seeing in terms of uh, facilities, you know, communities gaining access for consent? Yeah, so the more I dug into finding answers, the more questions popped up, Um, which in and of itself, I think, could be an interesting way to look at this. Um, I threw out, as best I could from a virtual perspective, phone calls, emails, emails, some LinkedIn polls, some LinkedIn questionnaires, some things that are targeted to people. And the most answers that I got were from family members that were just willing to be right out there with their own personal experience. What I did not get were any responses from professionals in the long-term care field, which as frustrating as it was, down to the wire of us doing our call today, I was still just checking to see, has any professional responded? And up till now, no. Which begged the question, why? Um, are each, is each facility doing it differently in a way that they don't want to share how they're rolling it out? Um, are they unsure of what they're doing? Are they flying by the seat of their pants? Um, you know, because it's kind of, you know, we called it warp speed. And in a lot of ways, I'm a little afraid that we're, we kind of built a, a carnival in three days and didn't really create the infrastructure underneath it to support it. I am all about getting a vaccine so that people can stay healthy and, and not get sick. But if we went at a speed that was so quickly and we weren't able to create an infrastructure that's going to support it, is that why I'm not seeing any professionals respond? So, Um, You know, this kind of came about to me because I was just thinking, I am not in the facilities right now, and I'm not able to go into facilities right now because of the restrictions. So a lot of my contact is virtual, and if they even have the time to talk to me because they are dealing with so many cases. But I was curious, you know, how are facilities gaining consent? And so I threw that question out there, and 
Um, I got a lot of different answers from people all across the country, even some, some responses uh, from Canada. I got a response that someone said they needed consent by phone. Um, let's see. They had a consent form that was sent. Uh, someone else had a consent form that was sent via mail. Uh, let's see. Grandfather lives with me. He signed up. This was someone who actually lives in the um, community. This family member responded and said, my grandfather lives with me, and they have done nothing in my area to let me know when he is available for the vaccine, and he's 96. Uh, another written consent that was an email and required to be scanned back. So it just seems as though with all the different responses that I saw, every single one of them was getting different. Um, every single one of them had a different mode in which to gain this. It wasn't a huge consensus of this is how we're rolling this out. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody had to give consent in writing. Uh, they received, someone else received a consent form a few weeks ago in the, in mail. Um, and even though the vaccine wasn't available in that facility at the time, that facility was trying to gain as many consent forms as possible ahead of the, ahead of the curve. So it's, it's, it's interesting how each one of them was, this is how I did it. This is how it happened. This is how it rolled out. And with all of these family members writing in these answers, there was no consistency as to this is how it's being rolled out everywhere. Yeah. I, and that's I think what I maybe found too. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then the lack of professional response. And again, I get it. Y'all are professionals. You're probably just bogged down, but I was surprised in regards to uh, any professionals not responding specifically to the question that if you're working with residents who have and are living with dementia and have no power of attorney, no guardian, no next of kin. And I have worked in this field 25 years. You have done this for so long and talked to so many people. I know you also have had experiences where you've talked to people where they have no one. Mm -hmm. They have no one. Are we required to gain consent for someone like that? Yep, and in, how do you do how, that? How ethic, yeah, how do you do that? And if you are required to gain consent and you can't legally and ethically, What's happening to that resident in that facility? You know, mm -hmm. from an environmental perspective, are they being moved to a different wing? Are they being, you know, separated from their, you know, cohort? You know, what's happening? Because as with every vaccine that's ever been out there, there's always people who don't believe in the vaccine. They're not trusting of it yet. It's so early in, in this particular vaccine stages. That is understandable. You know, mm -hmm. and I hate to say there's anti-vaxxers, but there are people who don't believe in vaccines. Yep. So then you've got also maybe someone who's living with dementia who does have a power of attorney, but that power of attorney says, I don't believe in vaccines. So now what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it, it is very interesting. One of the things that I have seen just over the last two weeks is um, with communities is the scramble of they're trying to figure out how, you know, how are they going to disseminate the vaccines? Because it just kind of got dropped on them. You know, it was, it was, it wasn't as coordinated as what everyone thought it was. And, you know, and now they're upping the doses. And so it's, it's taxing their systems and their procedures when they didn't really have, I don't think necessarily all the guidance in terms of some of these exactly. questions. And, and I could be wrong because I haven't, 
I haven't read all the regs and stuff that's gone through with it, but I know that they're, they're changing all the time um, in terms of what's happening. So I think that might be one of the reasons you didn't get a response. Another mm-hmm. might be that people would be worried about legality if they did put uh-huh. a response out. Exactly. Because, yeah. because, because there's not, um, there's not a set plan or there's not a set plan that I'm aware of. In terms of it, in talking with families, I found it was really interesting. Um, one person said, well, he was an essential uh, care caregiver for his wife. So he was just thrilled now that he could get the, the vaccine and he wanted her to have it. Um, but there, there really wasn't anything specific in terms of um, an authorization per se with right. that. Right. And right. And, uh, and then another man had said, well, they just called me by phone. And I thought, well, that's really not le- a legal consent, I don't believe. Um, mm-hmm. Usually there has to be something followed up, you know, with paperwork and stuff. Um, some had said, well, you know, I, I told them it was okay, but that they also acknowledged they didn't have power of attorney, even though it was a, you know, husband or wife, you know, a spouse sure. or a child. Um, lots of those situations out there. And like you said, there are many people who don't have that paperwork in order or don't even have anybody um, planned. So I think in that case, you know, maybe they're rolling back to this is what the doctor recommends treatment wise. But I don't really know what the what the answers are are here either in terms of how how all of this works. But it would be interesting. It would be really interesting to hear how people are doing that. I loved when you were said one company was, you know, being proactive, they knew it was coming. And so they were trying to mm-hmm. gather consent even before it was there. Um, so mm-hmm. that, that, you know, that's nice to, nice to hear there. Um, what yeah. are you feeling from, from families? Are you getting any pushback um, from families saying, I don't want them to have it at all? I have not seen that. The comments that I've gotten in regards to should we or shouldn't we vaccinate, uh, one comment was every Alzheimer's patient should be vaccinated. They don't have the choice of consent. I'm like, okay, that's uh, strong. I mean, I, I'm sure the, the, <laughs> the intention behind that was let's get everybody vaccinated so that everyone can be safe. I am sure that was the intention. The, the, the writing was a little strong worded. Um, I had a, a woman write in saying that, you know, her, her father should be next in line, and yet she's seeing younger people, than, younger than her father, clearly, who are not essential workers, getting the vaccine. And she used some expletives to discuss how angry she was about that in regards to her state. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not gotten, and I did put out there that question, is anybody, you know, feel like they're not ready yet to have their loved one vaccinated? They want to see more scientific proof they want this to roll out for a month or two longer to see what are you know side effects they may have to deal with I know a lot of people are receiving that paperwork if they've signed mm-hmm. the consent for their family here's mm-hmm. what you should expect here's what you might see um, I haven't heard from anyone saying I'm not interested in vaccinating at this point I want to wait mm-hmm. um, but I'm sure there's people out there that do feel that way yeah and yeah. again are they being pressured to vaccinate anyway, I, I just, you know, and that's, that's a question too. And I, I, you know, don't want to be dystopian or anything like that, but 
You know, I, I would hope that there isn't pressure to vaccinate someone if a family member doesn't feel that that's the way they want to go right now, because it is so early on in the game. Yeah. By well, having a facility say, you know, well, then your mom can't be with her roommate anymore. Or, you know, or can't, I, or can't I, live or can't live there. Yeah. You do. I hope because that that's I'm, not happening. Exactly. You know, because that would that just really puts a lot of duress in a system that's struggling right now to cope. Um, I wanted to make a comment on, you know, the, the about every person with dementia should have this. And and part of that might have been coming from if a person with dementia is unable to understand the rules of, you know, um, social distancing, you know, physical distancing, mm-hmm. washing hands, all of those types of things, you know, they're more susceptible to, you know, carry and to pick up the disease um, because they, they're not able to understand. So as a protection to them might have been a thought as well. Yeah, and then absolutely. Then, That's brilliant. Yeah. I love yeah. that you said that. That's I didn't even think about that, but you're right. I mean, yeah. that's a whole different perspective to take on that comment. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing is, you know, uh, the communities are all living differently. Some are, you know, still in their rooms. Some are living as pods and, you know, um, and trying to control kind of the social interaction into a smaller number and be more limited. But again, then it, that increases the vulnerability. But again, it it helps a lot with the, the mental health, um, I think, right, for everybody, right. being able to kind yeah. of get back to some normal. So there's so many different angles in this. I know a lot of um, larger communities that have, like, uh, skilled nursing, memory care, assisted living, and then market rate, you know, they were only giving portions to certain entities at first. You know, it was kind of the skilled mm. Skilled care, and now it seems like that. From what I've been hearing from people, that's expanded because, and I think part of it is, hey, if we're if we are going to be basically donating this stuff out, we want to protect the people in our own community as well, right? And, right. Which which makes sense too. So, uh-huh. um, and and I've also heard, you know, with this whole vaccine thing too, um, from from people in hospitals to clinics to. Um, to community, some staff aren't comfortable getting the vaccine. Right. And, and so that's another level of, you know, what kind of that right of choice, um, you know, can you, can you still work at wherever it is if their policy is you need a vaccine um, or are there Absolutely. exceptions? And, and I'm not hearing a lot of conversation on that either. Um, what I mm-hmm. what I'm hearing more is that they're just plugging around trying to get as many people vaccinated as possible, because you know the pressure is on for all of them to do that and to you know get these um, vaccines out of the vial and into into the arms of people. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah. It's such an interesting. It's so interesting to bring that up about the caregivers themselves, the professional caregivers who may mm-hmm. not, you know be ready for this yet, which again, you're right, is a personal choice. Um, and people should be entitled to be able to uphold that. And does that put their job at risk then? And then what? I mean, I, I know I've had to file for unemployment. And unfortunately, there isn't a box that you can check that says, well, my employer said I have to get this vaccine. And since I can't, am I eligible for unemployment? Mm-hmm. You know, if that's, that's, it puts people in a really tough position. It puts people yeah. in a really tough position. And 
you know, I had, I went to a dentist appointment this week and, and my dentist asked me if I'd gotten the vaccine yet. I said, well, no, I mean, I'm not 65 and I've been sheltering in place. So I'll probably be one of the last people on the list. Um, and he told me as a, you know, a health professional, he just received his second shot and he said, would you get it if you could? And I'm like, I think so. Um, you know, I haven't put a ton of thought into it myself because probably I would like to see how things play out a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I think we have all heard some horror stories that make us a little weary and unsure about things. And my guess is that it's going to be perfectly fine. It's going to play out great. And for the majority of people, it's going to be exactly what they need. I think that there are going to be some people that have bad side effects to it. I think there are going to be people that it won't impact their lives as much as we would like it to. I certainly hope that there isn't any long-term repercussions. Um, I know that that's some of the discussion I've heard is that although they're getting their family, they're giving their family the consent to get the, the vaccine, they are concerned about what are the long-term implications yep. of something like this. So, yeah. You know, the other thing, it is. You know, the other thing I was thinking as I was kind of like brainstorming again last night is, you know, and I'm not hearing much about this either, is what is the impact within a family member, like a family community that's living together when one person can get the vaccine and any, everybody else can't? Mm -hmm. um, so say you have grandpa living with you and he's 72, so he's eligible in his area for it. And everybody else in the household has been really strict with their social distancing and, and hand washing and all of those hygiene procedures you know, not going out with friends and not hanging out in big crowds. Now grandpa has the vaccine. Is there a misconception going on in the world that now that the older adult in our lives is quote unquote protected, I can go back and live my life. Yeah. Well, I think that's kind of got stomped out with the new variants coming out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think yeah. if, if people are using logic, you know, um, but but people spin things the way that they want to. The other thing is, you know, people perceive, um, and I've heard many people say this, well, I've already had it, so I'm good. But, you know, I was listening right. to the news, and they said, if you don't have a severe case, you might be good for two or three months, maybe. Mm -hmm. They don't really know because they're still studying this. Um, and if you've had a severe case, you might be good for six months to a year. And it could be longer, but they don't know. They really don't know right. because they have seen people get it again. I mean, I think of myself, you know, I had chicken pox five times. And every time my mom brought me into the doctor, the doctor's like, well, it can't be chicken pox. My mom's like, it's flipping chicken pox, you know. Oh, my gosh. And every time I got it, it got worse. You know, wow. so I started out with a mild case. And, you know, lucky me, um, you know, just to be a, a you know, a, nutcase, you know, but yeah, I had chicken box five times. So weird things, you know, happen. The other thing that I'm concerned yeah. about is yeah, I know that they're pushing to get all the vaccinations out in the arm the first time, but are they going to be able to um, make the new stuff in time for the second shot, which I believe is only like three weeks out and, right. and be able right. to distribute it. And then if if it's not in that time frame, you know, did we just screw everything up? 
And will, will it or will it not be effective? I mean, those are some of the things that we, we don't know and we hope that it will be okay. I know with some of the new variants, they're thinking this vaccine will still cover it. Um, mm-hmm. But again, they don't know for sure. And I know there's one out there, I can't even remember which one, they think is, is significantly different and it, it might not do anything for that. But, and then I read a, an, I shouldn't even say I read the article, I read the headline of an article um, I was breezing through stuff, and it said um, scientists think that the COVID um, is going to be as common as the, the cold, you know, yeah. and it's not going to be not going to be a big thing down the road. But again, I think that has to do more with herd immunity and and things right. shifting and changing for our bodies to be able to right. And I think that that's you know I think that that's a good perspective to take. I, I as as someone who has worked in long term care and you know, I've, I have fallen into the trap of making judgments about family members who make decisions for their loved ones that I do or don't agree with, you know, mm-hmm. and that's part of the job is that you, you, you have to listen to what the family wants, regardless of what you think is the right thing to do. And mm-hmm. I think you brought up a good point that, you know, because we don't know if the second um, booster shot is going to be available in the time frame that the scientists who created the, the shot themselves recommend, you know, is there fear that then, you know, well, my loved one is going to get a shot. They're not going to understand what it is. They might have some side effects from it. That's going to make them sick. I don't want to see them do that. And then when that booster shot should be coming, it isn't there. Are we just creating a resistive strain? Yeah. And so that's a really good perspective to keep, you know, as a, as a care professional, Keep that in mind. Maybe this is why a family is rejecting consent right now. Because um, it is hard to not fall into that judgment. Yeah. You know, another thing that I haven't heard anybody talk about, but, you know, they're saying with the second strain that you will get more severe symptoms. And has there been any thought into how is that going to be handled if you're doing a whole community at one time and everyone gets that second booster shot and now they've got symptoms? And I I have not heard or seen one article or conversation regarding how do we how do we care for them if they do have symptoms? You were right about that, because that's what my dentist said. He said when he got his second shot, he was down for 24 hours. Yep. First shot, not, not bad. Second one, and you're right. I have heard that too. I did not even consider that. You're going to have a huge population. You're going to have your entire population all sick at the same time. Well, in so, the, in the, and what's hard is it's not going to be just a community. It's going to be all the communities. And so we're taxed on staff right now as it is. And now to ha- have that increased pull and, you know, hospitals are, are all taxed. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting, but I think some of those conversations need to be had, um, and and maybe uh, maybe I'm totally off on that. Maybe they got it all covered. I just have I have not heard it. You know, <laughs> I I haven't heard I haven't heard it either, and I think that I think that's one of the misconceptions that the people like you and I have is that should we talk about this? Because probably somebody else is talking about it already. But the reality is maybe they're not. Because mm-hmm. I didn't consider that at all. I think that that's incredibly brilliant is that maybe we should be staggering. An incredibly mm-hmm. smart thing to be is staggering the staff in receiving the vaccine if they choose to get it so that not every CNA and nurse is out for the same week. I think yeah. you're right. I mean, there's, there's solutions that we could put in place to 
kind of quell um, increased hospitalizations and, and, and increased illnesses that come from that booster shot. And, and hopefully it's not, again, it's that concept of this warp speed, do it as fast as you can. We'll slow down, take a breath, do it smart, and you'll only have to do it once. Yep. So yep. I think I don't, just because I don't think we're seeing the conversation out there, I think maybe it's out there. I don't know why people either are talking about it in private and not bringing it out into the public, but I think it's something that needs to be discussed and thought about. I think those are really good points. Well, and it could be too that um, people are are talking about it within their community because that's really all they have time for. I mean, because yeah. they are they yeah. are all strained and um, overworked right now, and they're trying to figure out their own protocols and, and best policies and procedures um, to figure that out. But I, I do think that it would be helpful to have a larger conversation because I, I, I'm a big brainstormer. Um, I, I love getting ideas and hearing thoughts of other people because I think – I think we can make progress faster. We can analyze things quicker because not all of us, you know, well, like I said earlier, we're, we're not the experts. I mean, it's constantly right. changing. There's always stuff we can learn and we can, we can learn to avoid some issues by listening to um, others as well and trying to Absolutely. avoid those, those speed bumps and stuff. So, yeah, it's almost you know, something that's like, oh, I kind of almost want to reach out to my governor and, and, and they're, the health department and, and just ask that question. Right. You know? Right. So one of the things that you brought up, I just want to circle back to it. Um, hold on. I lost my train of thought. Well, why you lost your train of thought, I'm going to, I'm going to just uh, call out and <laughs> let our list, let our listeners know if they want to um, call in, if they've got some comments or questions or other questions that we haven't thought of, because Lord knows there's more out there. You can call into 323-870-4602, 323-870-4602. So how's that thought coming, Kathy? <laughs> I came. I found it. Thank you. Okay. I'll all I needed was 15 seconds. So, you know, in regards to what you've heard from families, in regards to what I've heard from families, you know, what we're seeing is a lack of consistency in how it's being rolled out, right? And that's what we're hearing on the news and we're seeing on, on all the, the different channels. What concerns me is when there's a lack of continuity in regards to something like this, how is that going to affect things three and six months a year down the road? And, and what I mean by that is prior to COVID, there were situations daily in facilities that I worked in where a resident ran out of uh, financial funds and could no longer stay at the facility they were living in and had to start the process of moving to another building. Mm -hmm. to another living uh, environment. You know, if we don't have consistency among facilities, even hopefully hopefully there is consistency at least within a state. And I, I do hope that that is the case and not every facility is just doing it their own way. But I would hope that, you know, there is some consistency so that if a resident has to move, you know, if, if they have to move from assisted living to a nursing home type environment that all their ducks are in a row and it doesn't slow down that process for them and add additional issues for them. And, and that's just long-term care in a nutshell. All the kind of headaches that family members have to deal with is, okay, mom's out of money now. We need to look at a different facility for her that's going to work. Do we have what's put in place? Did she need to have that vaccine six months ago? Oh, they didn't get it. They did it differently. 
you know, I just, I'm just curious how that's all going to play out. There's so many variables to this. Well, there is. The, and I mean, we, we saw some of that play out um, before the vaccine even came about can, how does somebody move into a community? Yeah. Do, they, do they have to go to another location for two weeks, you know, and get tested mm-hmm. and then make sure that they're negative before they enter a, a, you know, a community that is feeling like they're safe and, you know, trying to keep COVID out. Do they go to that community in a certain section and, you know, be basically isolated there? Um, and right. I haven't seen, I, have, I still haven't seen consistent answers on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. that just kind of came out like, well, what do you mean people are moving in? What do you mean people are still doing tours? They can't do tours, you know, it's, <laughs> they're, they're coming from the outside in. That's just, Ixnate everything that they were doing. So, it, you exactly. know, and then protocols came in place, but it was just very, it was very interesting, all the questions that come up after the fact, which, you know, it's, right. it's pretty typical in a, in a lot of cases because you, you don't know what you don't know until you don't know it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, when something Did you mention, all new. Right. Did, did you mention that there was, um, a family where the older adult got the the vaccine, so the spouse was happy they were able to get it too. Did you mention that? Yep, yep, yep. They haven't okay. gotten it yet. They're getting it next week when when they're all set up. But but he signed up to get that. So um, and he's an essential worker for her, and so that kind of pushed him up a notch. She said the whole community was there, and I said, but that gives you a little a little power, you know, to say hey. You know, I, I'm instead of looking at me as a spouse, you need to look at me really as an employee on that level Good. if I'm Good. an essential worker. And that was a question I had. Yeah, no, I, and I'm glad to hear that that's how they're reframing it. I think that that's really important because I was just thinking to myself yesterday, um, you know, in my area, I got a, a text from the city announcing where the the vaccine um, headquarters are going to be, where people can drive through. But also, you know, if you're 70 and above, then you're eligible. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking to myself, what if you have, you know, two, a married couple living together and one of them is 65 or 70 and eligible and one of them is, say, 58 and not, yeah. um, you know, so I'm glad to hear you say that they're reframing it as an essential worker, especially if they're the primary caregiver. That's well, really good. I'm glad to hear that. But this was somebody who the, the wife was in memory care and he was in a, more of an assisted living and he's the essential mm-hmm. worker within one community. So it wasn't like okay. a, separate, a separate household um, because I, mm-hmm. think, I think that could easily get lost. And I think that'll end up being, probably a doctor's call saying, no, this person does need to get this. But, okay. but a lot of times I don't think that call is going to happen if, if mm-hmm. the family doesn't think that they have the power to even ask for that. That's so or, true. Or to push for that. Right. Right. Cause I do think that's an incredibly important thing. And I, I, I would hope that maybe, you know, like you're, you're using that concept of essential worker, you know, if you do have, and so many, People are at home just caring, caring for their spouse, and, and yeah, we need to sh- shift the mindset of spouse and even disregard the age mm-hmm. and consider them that essential worker for that person. One yeah. of the things that came up for me this week that I thought was interesting was a dialogue amongst family members was actually not related to dementia per se, but just the older population. Um, 
I had a conversation with an older adult uh, spousal group, so married married couple, and uh, they were very surprised that their adult child um, and that and that family was not disclosing to them that they had actually been traveling out of state, flying to different places for holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's, um, but then wanted to see them in between those times uh, to celebrate. And the uh, older adults that were, they're not living with dementia, but they're just older adults, they're just the Mm -hmm. grandparents, um, were really, really kind of miffed by the fact that their own children were not being upfront and communicating with them and saying, Hey, for your sake, let's not get together right now. Let's not do this. We just traveled. So-and-so we were in the airport, la, 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 la. Um, And I think that that's something from my standpoint, when I focus a lot on communication, I feel like that is something that is so important right now. Yeah. We have to wash our hands and wear our mask, but we, we have to be, just as diligent with our communication mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's what we're doing that's going to be putting other people at risk. And if those are those people that you love and care for and your parents, you know, your elders, the people that you lived with and loved your entire life, your actions are going to reflect their mental health, their sense of trust in you, but also their physical health too. And so I think families who maybe have an you know experience or a, an impression that traveling isn't a bad thing, it's fine, we'll be okay. You know, I still think they need to be incredibly upfront and respect the person that they're lo- loving and let them know, you know, yeah. this isn't the right time. Well, the other thing I think it affects um, the person is they don't value me. Yeah, you know, I mean, and that's a that's a huge psychological impact, huge, especially when people are dealing with isolation and they're on the fringe of depression. Um, the thought of, oh my gosh, my child or my family or my friend doesn't value me as a as a yeah. as a human and what my thoughts are, and um, yeah. and stuff. And so I think that that's that's something interesting. I, I, there's also um, two other things I wanted to, to bring up in this conversation that I thought were, were interesting. One was I had mentioned offline to you that they are sniffing out COVID using service dogs down in Georgia in an assisted living. And it's not just for their residents, but also the staff have to bypass the dog on the way in. And if the dog, <laughs> and if, if they are sniffed, and the dog thinks that they might have COVID, they have to take a rapid test. That's what they're doing. But I think, oh, how cool would that be to work? And that these places would adopt having, you know, a pet on site, which I think all these people love. But the other yeah. thing um, that I thought was interesting, too, and it keeps popping up on my phone asking me if I want the app that will tell me if a person around me has, mm. uh, has tested positive. And for me, that's a little bit too much big brother. And I think in the society that we're in right now, and this is just my personal thought, people can disagree <laughs> with good. me. Good. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think in the society and the world we're living right now, that could actually get dangerous. If you're, let's say you're out at a park and you get an alert that someone around you 
has COVID, I mean, somebody could go off, you know, accusing yeah. somebody yeah. or, I mean, you just, you don't know these days. And, and no. so um, I don't know. I, I, I understand the need and where some people might really value that and go, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. But then you, right. you would also have to deal with not been exposed. Now do I quarantine? How close was that yeah. person? Were they within six feet of me or were they 30 feet away from me? Or, you know, I mean, uh, you, then you have all those other things into play. Um, so I find that really, really interesting. And I mean, I know they have my number because I went in, I got sick. Um, I ended up not having COVID, but I took the test and, you know, they, they, get, they got back right away saying that they received my vial. And then within, I want to say 24 hours, they got back to me. Um, once they said they received the vial. So, you know, your contact information, your data is all there. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if I signed something saying that that was okay for them to know it was okay for them to contact me. Um, And I really wasn't feeling good. So I probably didn't really read it well, in terms of (laughs) how how many third party interests could have access to that information. You know, so, so, I, I, we have not, in my area, I have not seen that, that type of contact tracing, but I've heard about it, and I was under the impression, and it sounds like it's different, my impression was if there was someone in your, like, contact, I actually don't even understand how it works. I never really put a lot of thought into it, so you've enlightened me. So, so what you're saying is that they are picking up and can tell you via a text if you are in the vicinity of someone else you may not have ever run into before that has yep. tested positive. That's my understanding. Wow. And, and like I said, I just put not now, you know, and again, that's just me. And I, and I know big brother is out there and, um, and stuff, you know, we've all talked about that and, and there's, you know, there's a plus side and, and there's a minus side and, you know, could it make more people more paranoid? Will it give them more safety? I, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> no, I, don't I mean, know. it's such a, I didn't realize that. I kind of thought it was more like people within, I don't know, your, within own, your own work group. environment or, yeah. yeah, I didn't realize it was any random stranger. Yeah. Which no, that. brings up, yeah, that brings up one of my last questions that I had written for myself that I shared with you prior to this conversation, which is, are we seeing adult onset socially induced agoraphobia where no one wants to leave the house because they're scared? And I'm seeing it firsthand in my own house. Mm -hmm. So if I'm seeing it here, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm sure other people are feeling that too. And just like you're saying, if they're using that type of contact tracing and someone goes in, they're not feeling well, they're going to sign whatever they need to sign just so they can get home and get some rest. Mm Mm-hmm. What is then that doing? Are we yeah. out? You're right. Are we afraid now to go out? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Lots of questions, not a lot of answers, but a lot, you know, a lot to think about. And I, and I hope a, a larger, you know, wider conversation comes of all of this um, yeah. just to get people thinking. It's um, again, you know, this conversation we, we didn't tackle because we want to make people feel paranoid. Um, we just, think that they're important questions to ask and to discuss, Absolutely. you know, um, yeah. kind of 
get back to the, the humanness of all of us and the connection and what's important and, you know, what rights do we have um, in terms of choice when you've got a, an international, you know, epidemic going on. Right. It, um, I think, you know, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think what this type of conversation to me does is it really, I mean, you've really enlightened me on a lot of things. Um, but I think what it can do if you're, if people are open to it is create opportunities for perspective. I think that so many of us have so little space in our brains right now for anything new. We are mm-hmm. so bogged down with so much information. COVID took up hundred percent of our brains last year and then comes 2021 and well, <laughs> welcome to a new year and a whole new bunch of problems, right? So nobody has any room for free thought and creativity right now. And especially taking on new perspectives. I think that just, that takes energy. It takes time and, but it's so important. And I think for every person in, as a part of this process of the vaccination and this pandemic, there are opportunities for us to take a new perspective. So like for those long-term care professionals who are frustrated, they're working till, you know, they're, they're ready to fall over and, and they hear one other family member say, I'm not giving mom that vaccine and they're ready to blow to take that breath and go, is there another perspective I can take? Is there a reason why? They're not interested in this right now. Are they concerned about not having the booster available? There's so many options. Mm -hmm. And then, again, for those family members that are getting these consent forms or asking for consent, and they're not wanting to sign it, they're not ready yet to go forward, and they feel pressured or unsure how to make that good decision, again, taking that perspective on about what that long-term care facility is up against and what mm-hmm. they're truly trying to achieve by gaining, at least within that facility, some type of herd immunity um, for, the, for the health and wellness of everybody. And that it's not just, you know, we're focusing on your parent and you're a bad caregiver. You know, the caregiver needs to put back out there the perspectives of there's a, a lot these people are dealing with. Um, yep. So it's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's good for perspective taking if we can just take some time to do that. Well, and I think the other thing that's really important is when you allow yourself to kind of empty those thoughts out of your head, you know, and out of your body, even though it takes energy, it frees up energy of storing it and stuffing it and thinking that it's not a value or that you're the only one thinking these thoughts. Um, And usually you find, oh, there's a lot of people talking about this stuff and then it really is more of an empowering and I think it gives people um, a sense of more balance and, yep. and and being centered even though the, the world might be crazy around you I think I think you know stuffing stuffing feelings and thoughts um, to me has never been good and Lord knows I've done it you know and then I've blown <laughs> up at somebody who didn't deserve it Right. Um, but but as I get older, you know, I think I try to do better with having open conversations and not being, I really try hard not to be offended if I don't agree with somebody, but to try to dig deeper into why are they, why do they believe that? And then, right. um, and then when you, when you ask more probing questions, a lot of times I think they're much more open to um, hearing your side because you've taken time right. to hear them out. 
And and yeah. I don't think we. I think that's a that's an art that's kind of lacked here lately um, in yeah. the world. Yeah. And, and we need to we need to grab that back uh, by the horns and take control of it and go. Everyone's voice really is important and let's hear what what's going on because usually when people are really upset over something, it, there's some kind of fear um, that we've got to tackle um, that may or may not yeah. be true. Right. You know, you spoke of, of memory cafes that you facilitate and, and other ones that are being facilitated. And, and I think I think that's something that people should really start to consider, especially if this kind of conversation was intriguing and brought up some, convers- some ideas that they've had themselves that were, you know, unwilling or unsure how to share with mm-hmm. others. Um, I think it, it is those types of environments, support groups and memory cafes that can provide these people, people with a space where I am not alone which is going to at least start to tackle that sense of social isolation because it's not just residents and facilities that are feeling social isolated. It's the caregivers themselves. It's, it's the family members that are stuck at home. Right. And so, you know, that social isolation, yeah, it's, it started as, at a physical level where all of us had to be sheltered in place, but it has expounded and has, it's now just kind of like a, it's like an existence in our own minds I'm alone in this. Mm-hmm. And so much of this, like you're saying, we're not seeing it. We're not hearing it. We're not hearing discussions about it. But we can't be the only ones thinking about these things. And you're right. When people bottle things up and keep it to themselves, they're going to feel alone. And that isolation is just going to enhance. But going to that memory cafe, you know, logging in and being a part of that conversation and bringing stuff up, you know, and taking the risk that you might be the one person to bring up something controversial I think people will be surprised to hear that there's going to be other people going, yes, I am so yep. glad you said that. Yeah, and it's just takes one to bring it up. Yeah. Absolutely. That sense of community, even on a virtual platform, mm-hmm. that will start to create a lack of social isolation that I think we are all feeling. I agree. Now, Kathy, we need to wrap up here, so I want to make sure that we get uh, people your website, which is improv in the number four caregivers.com improv for caregivers.com and they can email you at improv for caregivers at gmail.com and then do you want to yep. give out a phone number as well sure the phone number is 219-649-1732 and you can call if I'm on the phone with someone as lovely as yourself you just leave me a message and I will get back <laughs> you and uh, love to give anybody more information on what I do, uh, how I can help them personally, professionally. Um, I think we're all just, at this point, we all just need to be able to be willing to help each other out. Exactly. Well, that's a beautiful way to, to wrap up the show. We're, we're in this together and we do, we do better together. And so yeah. not to be afraid. I think uh, one of the beautiful things about dementia is knowing that life isn't perfect, it never was, it wasn't meant to be, um, but we grow through imperfections and, and we learn. And if we're open to being, you know, um, lifelong learners, it makes the journey a lot easier um, because you also find that you have a lot to give others too. And I think so many mm-hmm. times people think that, you know, they have to talk to a professional and um, going to some of the groups, like you were saying, the memory cafe or various support groups or gatherings, um, people get empowered and go, 
you know, I've been on that path. I probably have some advice I could help this person with, but that person over there is way ahead of me. And so I need to, I need to tug on their shirt and have a conversation on some other things yes, too. Yes. Um, yes. Very, absolutely. Very, yeah. People are very open and very, very giving in this community. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your time and your expertise and your uh, thought provoking uh, comments and questions uh, again, people can reach out to Kathy uh, by her phone, 219-649-1732, or you can go to the website, improv, the number four, and then caregivers.com, improv4caregivers.com, um, and then you can email her at improvforcaregivers at gmail.com. And, of course, you can always reach me through the radio platform or just go to alzheimerspeaks.com. I'd be glad to talk with you. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a blessed week and we will talk soon. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier.